Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We're in our series, Cultivate, and um, I'm, I'm going to throw out a disclaimer right now that um, last week's message and this week's message probably won't make the top ten, all right? They're not the, um, um, there's a lot of hard truths in the seed that falls at the path, and there's an awful lot of hard truths in the seed that falls on rocky ground, and um, so I've worked really hard at this, and uh, um, yeah, it's not fun. Okay, um, but it's the Word of the Lord, and um, we're excited to get into it, and it's always challenging, and the Word of God should be challenging. You didn't come to get your ears tickled, all right? Um, you came to hear the Word of the Lord, all right? We're unpacking the idea of the sower and the, the seed, and knowing that the sower in this story is Jesus, but it can be anybody, any faithful servant who proclaims the Word of God. And Jesus is the teller of the story. We looked last week how He speaks in parables a lot. And then what He does, He takes His disciples aside, and He gives them the interpretation of the parable. And we'll um, be jumping into that a little bit, so I'll not read the whole passage again just for sake of time. But um, it's Mark 4, it's in Mark, it's in Matthew 13, it's in Luke something, and it's in Mark 4. And uh, it's in the three synoptic gospels, um, so it's a very powerful story, and we're unpacking the Mark 4 one. It's a parable that Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand everything else? So He's unpacking the idea of the soil, and that's why we're taking time over that, all right? Um, and that's why it's really important to be involved. And that's why it's really important to have accountability. That's why it's really important to be around people, all right? Because someone once said that the kingdom grows at the speed of relationship. And I like that. I like that. And so it's important to be in small group. It's important to be in life group. It's important to get around people that challenge you. Iron sharpens iron. And so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And this week, we, um, Ryan Mowinney, who leads one of our life groups, um, put together a little video, and um, we're going to take, it's just uh, two and a half or just shy of three minutes. So let's take a little peep at that and encourage you if you're not in life group. And I love Ryan's life group. He makes a statement at the end. I see Jamie smiling there. But he makes a statement at the, at, at the end that there are a variety of people from the Banfoot to South Africa. <laughs> you couldn't beat that. Sure, you couldn't. Um, so let's have a wee peep at Ryan's uh, life group video. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan McMoney. I'm on with my wife, Judith, who's actually doing the video here. And uh, we have the privilege of leading a life group in, in our home. This has actually been recorded on a Wednesday night, on Life Group Night, so you'll have the chance to hear from some of the guys in the life group uh, very shortly. Uh, so what is life group and what do we actually do? Well, we're a group of 12 people who um, are from various different parts of the world, uh, right from um, Bond Foot to uh, Donna Clumley, South Africa, and even from Lauren direction as well. We often say we're a group of people who probably, if it wasn't for that common bond of the Lord Jesus, wouldn't actually be together. So it's lovely in that respect as well. 
Um, we typically meet uh, every other week, uh, and we we get together, start off the night just with a, with a cup of coffee at a barn, or for Christians out there for, with a Trebek, and we uh, really just have a bit of fellowship together, and then we get into uh, God's Word together as well. How we do that, really, it's a, it's a passage of Scripture that is sent out, out normally in a few days before the group uh, by Dave. Uh, we don't prepare in advance, we just read it, that on the night and we just let the Holy Spirit lead us as to uh, what, what he's saying to us. We have a structure where we, we look back at the, what God is doing in our lives um, in, in the, in the, since the time we last met and, and, and what has happened. We look up to what God is saying to us now and, and uh, what is God saying about us and what is God telling us about himself as well. And then we look forward. How do we apply that to our lives? So how do we make that real in our lives and in, in the days coming? And, and how do we encourage each other and disciple each other in that area as well? So that's the formal part of it. Um, outside of that, we have a WhatsApp group that is quite busy with uh, jokes and stories and different things, but also quite serious things like prayer points for each other, prayer points for the wider church, and just as we can organize different events and things like that as well. We do try and meet together um, socially as often as we can. We're looking forward to the spring and the summertime where we could do that a wee bit more often as well. So life group has been great for us and we thoroughly enjoy it and we're, we're privileged to be able to do it. We joined about two and a half years ago from South Africa and the group has made us feel very welcome. We feel like part of a family and so we've been doing life together with um, our friends that have uh, become regulars and we've just felt very much at home. I'm Jimmy and one of my favorite things about life group is taking the teachings you learn on a Sunday and getting them discussed in a group that you've got to know and trust. So you get to speak in real terms with people you're doing life with. And it's just one of my favorite things about being a life group. Hi, I'm Heather. And um, I am a local girl from Northern Ireland, but I lived in South Africa for a very long time. However, life group is great because we get to discuss a lot of topics, but we do life, it's like a family. But it's nice to bring multicultural dynamics to the group and to get different opinions, different takes on things and really thrash things so it's great fun. We love life group because we get to hang out. Thirdly recommend that, that if you're not in a, in a group, you bite the bullet and go and do it. It will be stressful at first night, but you never look back. There you go. Thanks, Ryan and his life group. Um, and it, it is so important. It is just so important. And uh, getting around people, getting around people who love you enough to cry foul in your life whenever things are tough. So it's really, really important. And that's why the study on the soil is really important, because uh, the soil represents the condition of our heart, obviously. And um, um, today we're thinking about the rocky ground, all right? What happens when the seed falls on a ground that's superficial? What happens when... Uh, there is a superficial response to the message. That's our problem today, all right? Um, and there's two learning curves, I think, in the, in the passage today. And firstly, Jesus is warning us that how we start out and how we go on need to be viewed differently. Starting out is no guarantee to going on. That's basically what he's saying. And secondly, he's teaching that the secret of going on is depth. The secret of going on is depth. Those are the two big things that we're going to unpack in this um, uh, story of the rocky ground this morning. My hope is that all of us in the room will do whatever we need to do to um, check the condition of our hearts. Rick led us around communion with that thought that we need to search our hearts continually and show them when the seed of the Word is sown into them, 
into our conscience and into our hearts, um, it will take root and grow and bear um, some fruit. Now, Jesus sets the scene for us in verse 5. He says that some of the seed fell on stony ground where it didn't have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. All right? It's a known fact that there's considerable parts of Palestine that are like this, that um, tillable soil, lots of tillable soil is found um, on top of layers of rock. And the soil obviously isn't that deep. And in such a situation, when the seeds of the process go to sprouting, they have only one way to go. They can't go down, so the only way is to go up, all right? The rock doesn't allow them to go down, and so the only way to go is up. So what happens is the shallow soil warms up rapidly. Um, Google's a great tool, isn't it? In the hot sun, and so the seeds quickly sprout under those conditions um, but since the soil is so shallow and the sun is so hot, it's not long before any moisture that's in the soil dries out completely. And um, then the layer of rock beneath the surface, beneath the soil, prevents the, the roots from going down, seeking nourishment, which they would usually do. Um, and so the fast-sprouting seed quickly withers and dies in the hot sun. That's the story. And the main lesson, as I say, that Jesus is trying to teach us in this is um, that is everything about life has to do with perseverance. I think that's what he's trying to teach us here. Everything in life has to do with perseverance. If we want to be saved, we must endure, all right? And the point comes out, first of all, as a warning, and he's saying how we start out and how we go on need to be viewed differently. Um, if you look at me, uh, look with me at the explanation of the parable, so way down to verses 16 and 17 then, this is the part that we're going to unpack this morning. Jesus starts to tell them, the disciples, the description of the stony ground. He says, these likewise are the ones sown in stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no right in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now remember, the roadside hearers that we talked about last week, the ones where the, the seed was sown along the path, they heard the word too. They heard it too. But their hearts were so hard that there was no observable response in their lives to the word of God at all, and it just sat on the surface of their hearts Remember, we talked about the ironclad heart had never sank in and nothing ever happened. That's not the condition of this class of hearer. These are the people who hear the word and welcome the word, all right? In fact, each word that Jesus uses in verse 17 tells their story. He says, notice how he described them. He says, they hear the word immediately, receive it with gladness. They don't need to be talked into anything. They are suddenly swept up and bowled over by the message of the gospel. They embrace what they hear. They don't dismiss the word. They don't argue with it or distort it to accommodate their certain tastes or, or, or flavor. Immediately they receive it with gladness. And so they respond to the message. They want to know more. They find themselves attracted to Christians they, they, they find that this life that Christians lead 
is appealing to them, and they even begin to make some changes in their life. They stop cursing, thankfully. They open their Bibles every now and again. They even try to pray. They join a life group. They get involved in ministry. They might even go on a mission trip. The seed sprouts, and it grows up rapidly. This is what Jesus is saying. And to every outward appearance, these bright converts who show every observable evidence of really having come to know um, Jesus through the gospel. They learn the language. They say amen and hallelujah at all the right times. They even raise their hands in worship. They adapt to some moral expectations of the church. They love being with other believers in the church. They might even take communion. After all, they seem to understand the gospel message, and that's okay. They, they start to live a little bit more morally and upright, and they show great affection for the worship of God. And yet, and yet, verse 17 says, things are not good. Look how Jesus describes this description. Even so, he so soon receives the word with gladness, it says, but they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. And afterwards, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Can I say to you that this is probably on the top five of the most painful thing any pastor or elder endures? Um, as you shepherd the flock. This is the hardest one. Um, and uh, they see the, so the seed sown in a heart, and there's every outward sign of a hopeful harvest. It all appears well, of real spiritual life, so far as they can see, without, um, uh, we don't know the person's heart, but everything in the outward appearance looks good. This person has made a commitment to Jesus, and then after a few months, you begin to realize that their attendance at church becomes a little bit more sporadic. They, they notice a cooling of enthusiasm. They drop out of the life group they were first so eager to join. Church members call them and text them and offer to meet them for coffee, but they rarely reply now. And when they do, um, they, they, they sort of say, they make an excuse, I'll be back, I'll be back. Once things calm down a bit, I'm so busy at the moment, I'll be back, but then never really do come back. The reason being, you see, is they endure for a while, but it's not long before they have actually slipped back in their morals. It's not long before these people slip back into the world, which evidently they never really let go of, and, um, and now they don't have much thought of the things of God, and they don't even seem to have much thought of their never-dying soul. And um, now we'll come back to this in a moment to think about why, about why um, this happened. But for now, I just want to stop and just make a, a, a simple fact of the case, all right? The seed sprouted and showed great promise. In fact, I suppose if I was a farmer and, um, and looked out over the field where I had sown my seed and seen very little to to say anything that I'd planted seed. And then there's this section of field. And there, in this section of field, it's starting to sprout, and you think, wow, this is really good. But what the farmer doesn't realize that the rocks are under the surface. He doesn't know how shallow the, the soil really is. And so the thing that looks best of all 
actually, um, he sees all of this rapid growth, but there's bitter disappointment to come his way, and soon, very soon, the hopeful stalks of grain wither and die. And you will have spotted the word twice immediately, all right, twice in the text. Immediately they receive it with gladness. This is what I've been looking for all along. This is what I needed. And they try it. I led a guy to Christ about 35, 40 years ago. I was a lorry driver at the time, and I was drawing um, PVC powder out of Doncaster in England into polypipe in Donaclony and um, into the Unidar factory and poured it down. And I was in the Unidar factory twice, three times a week. And one of the factory workers there, him and I got just walking past really to the the lab to get the, the, the test done for the powder, um, him and I picked up a conversation. And, um, and I led him to faith after a number of weeks. And uh, he received the message with great joy. He immediately received it. He, this is what I've been looking for. And so the, it went on and weeks passed and things were great. And then a little bit of persecution came his way, and um, I noticed that when I would walk into the factory, he would be avoiding me. Instead of looking out for me now, he was avoiding me. And um, I went over to have a conversation with him one day, and I said, his name was Tony, and I said, Tony, what's going on? What, what's going on? And he says, Philip, packed it in. And I said, you what? He says, I packed it in. I tried it. I did I tried it, Phil. I give it the best run. Immediately receive it with gladness. And when persecution and tribulation come, immediately they stumble. What was wrong? Rocks, you see. Rocks in the life. The seed hadn't went down into the soul. And um, as quickly as the person made the profession of faith in Jesus, they threw themselves into the life of church just as quickly. They've now turned their back on it all and are plunged once again into the emptiness and sin of the world. And it's a very sobering picture, really. And you can receive, I've shed many tears this week over this story. You can receive the word with gladness. You can have all the outward marks of an apparently sincere profession of faith in Christ and still be lost. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, how we begin, you see, is very important. It matters, but it's no guarantee how we'll go on. That's the warning. So don't look back on your past experiences and all the emotion when your heart was pounding in your chest, when you responded to the gospel and you prayed the sinner's prayer. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You can go back to some mountaintop experience at camp or at a conference or at an outreach event when someone made a call and you came up to the front. Experiences like that may well accompany true conversion in your case, and they're wonderful to have, but they also accompany many of a false profession, and that's sad. Um, someone who is almost saved can look as sincere as someone who is really saved. For a time, and they feel deeply, they can weep strongly, they can pray fervently, they can rejoice greatly in the wake of a particular moving sermon, and alas, now they say, well, you know, I haven't opened my Bible in months, and to be honest, I haven't prayed in months, but when I was 16, I, I, I made a profession at a camp, you see, 
And um, so I'm okay, aren't I? That's a big question, isn't it? And if that's your story, how do you know that it's not stony ground? And um, if it's only past experience that, that, that is giving you confidence in Christ's mercy, that's not enough. That's what Jesus is saying in the story. Past experiences are wonderful. I can go back to when I was a boy, sitting at the end of my mother's table. I was six years of age. I'm 65 this year, so you can do the mass. And I remember giving my life to Jesus. I will never forget that Friday afternoon. That was my experience. The old man that led me to the Lord, who's been with the Lord for a long, long time, read to me the story of the Philippine jailer, and he said to me, Phil, this is your note from heaven, and I will never forget that experience. But it's not enough. You see, the theology and the doctrine of salvation is you are saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. I say this all the time. And sometimes we're so busy thinking about our passport, we forget about our driving license. And so what Jesus is actually saying in this story, what about it now? What about if it's only past experience? What about your present trust? What about your present repentance? What about your continual turning from life on your terms to life on His terms? It's a running to Him today. It's a running to Him now. This is what Jesus is saying. And, and, and that will... That turning to Him now and running to Him now will ground your experience for time and for eternity. So please don't be deceived. How we begin, however precious the memory of it, could and mightn't be the guarantee of how you'll go on. Your security must rest in present repentance and faith, trusting Jesus today, right now, um, well, what happened? Let's look at this. What happened to the stony ground here? I said it compacted, and I am. Um, how did he fall away? How do you account for that tra tragic and all too common reality? And much more to the point, what can be done about it? How can we prevent that happening to us? Well, the, if the first lesson of this parable is to show us that um, how it starts is no guarantee of how it goes on. The second lesson is about endurance. It's about the depth of stuff in your life. You'll have noticed that the parable speaks about the hot sun beating down on the shallow soil. All right, that's in the story of the seed. He says the hot sun beats down. Verse 17 gives us the explanation of what that hot sun is. Jesus says that hot, hot sun explains the metaphor for tribulation or persecution on account of the word. The word for tribulation or persecution there comes from the Greek word to squeeze or to press, like grapes in a wine press. That's basically what it's saying. And notice he doesn't say, um, if tribulation and persecution come, you'll note that, will you? He says, when persecution and tribulation come. If you profess to follow Jesus, it is only a matter of time that you will suffer for the hardship of the sake of the gospel. That's just a given. And last week, we'll not take time to do it this week, last week we talked about the three enemies, not just one enemy, we have the trinity of enemies. We have the world, this world that recognizing the worldly systems which are resisting the purposes of God in the world and Western civilization. We have a lot of that. We've got our old flesh. Remember I said to you that 
If, you're, if, you, if you get prayed for and get delivered of something, you're still left with you. You've still got your flesh, our base, self-centered nature that wants to rule our own hearts and our own bodies. And then we've got the devil recognizing the enemy's tactic is to steal the seed of God. And we saw him active at the path last week the birds of the air coming and stealing away the good seed. And so this evil trinity comes in all of these soils. And if you follow Jesus, tribulation and persecution on the account of the word are coming soon. Um, But we must understand in the parable, Jesus isn't saying that these are the things that cause the person to fall away. This is really important. If you don't grasp anything else, grasp this, all right? He doesn't fall away because of tribulation or persecution. In fact, in the parable, it's the warm sun that causes the seed to grow. It's actually the sun. It's the basic law of nature. Sprouting seeds always need sunlight to grow. And so the hot sun of tribulation and persecution under God are actually designed to be part of the growth structure. You don't hear that taught often. Paul talked about it all the time joining in the sufferings of Christ. I had an old mentor who's home with the Lord now, and he used to say, Phil, persecution makes you grow. Come and I'll pray that you get a bit of persecution. His, his name was Charlie, and he, I, he, he, said, he, he said, Phil, I think I'm the only person that, that people say, Charlie, don't pray for me anymore. I've had as, as much persecution as I, I can take. But he's right. He's right. It's, it's designed under God to actually make us grow so persecution and tribulation aren't the problem in themselves. What is the problem in the parable? What is it? Why does this person not grow? Why does this person not persevere? Why does this person not endure? Well, the passage tells us. Let's look at the verse. It says, they have no root in themselves. They haven't allowed the seed to grow. There's nothing wrong with the seed, you see. They have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. And when the sun, when the persecution arises, immediately they stumble. It's not the tribulation and persecution come. It's when they have no root in themselves. This is what explains why this initial warm embrace of the gospel just didn't last. The soil isn't deep enough. The soil isn't deep enough. The thick rock hidden just below surface will not allow the roots to penetrate, and persecution and tribulation make the seed send down roots in search of water to nourish and sustain them, but there's no room for the roots, you see, and because there's no room for the roots, the growth growth will not last, and that's the picture. The Word of Christ must go deep if you are to grow strong. The Word of Christ must grow deep if you are to grow strong. And here's the whole moral of the story. You need to deal with the rocks. You need to deal with the rocks. If the rocks aren't taken away, their roots won't go down. And the problem is, you see, people come to Jesus and they want to keep their rocks. (laughs) I'll, I'll come to Jesus and I'll go to church and I'll do all that stuff. But I still want to keep I want to keep the rocky ground here because this is me. This this belongs to me. We sing it. I say Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them, don't they? We say, I surrender all. All to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. And then we go home and keep everything to ourselves. This is the life of surrender. 
You see, it won't be the, the roots need to sink into the deepest part of our hearts, of our lives, in our lives, if we're going to endure. And it won't be the sudden explosion of initial enthusiasm that will carry you through the trials of life, you know. I hope you realize that. It must be the steady, deep drinking of the living water through the deep roots, the Word sinking deep down into the soil of your heart. That's the thing. That's, the, that's what will sustain you. A superficial response to the Word is a very dangerous thing, never to be content with all you've got of the truth. Don't be content with what you've got. I've been reading this for over half a century and I'm not content with what I've learned. Never be content with what you have of the truth. There's always more. Don't be satisfied with a few sips of the well when there are streams of living water to drink and supply your thirst. Don't paddle at the edges of God's river of love. Dive into the vast, bottomless ocean of divine, redeeming love. Sink your roots down as deep as you can. Go as deep as you possibly can. Don't stay on the surface of things. Get as much of Jesus as you can. That's the story in the sower. You will never exhaust him, and he will always sustain you. (laughs) That's the story. Sink your roots deep into Christ. Why? Because there's storms coming. There's a hot becking sun coming. Hard things, difficult things, maybe sad times that will come. And if you're going to weather them and you're going to model to your family, moms and dads and grannies and grandas in the room, if you're going to model them to your family, if you're going to model um, how to weather a storm, you need to make sure your roots sink deeply into the soil of God's Word because it models it out to the next generation. You see, there's something of urgency in Jesus' message. How we begin is no guarantee how we go on. Stop counting on yesterday's experience. Let's invite God into our lives today, fresh today. We're sons and daughters today. Let's grab our inheritance. Let's grab all that we can. Commitments to a preferred future don't come randomly. They're intentionally established at times when you're thinking clearly and you're close to God. I love the story. Dreams can come true. I'm a dreamer. And um, there's a a great story of Joseph Parman. Joseph Parman, still alive. And he's undoubtedly, they say, one of the best violinists in the world. And um, renowned crowds flock from all over the world to hear him play. And when he was 12, Joseph got struck by polio And so he uses crutches and leg braces to get around. And so he's always the last one to get his seat on stage with the orchestra. And he was playing in the Lincoln Center in New York, a very difficult piece. And he was about 90 seconds in when there was a loud twang of a string breaking could be heard right to the back of the hall. The orchestra played softly to cover, and everyone wondering what was going to happen next. Protocol, you see, would allow the lead violinist to go off stage and restring and retune his violin, but Parman had sat down, taken off his leg braces, and so he didn't have that privilege. And so according to the Boston Globe, Joseph Parman waved the orchestra to go on and instantly transposed the music to three strings instead of four and played the piece, played the piece flawlessly. You musicians will know how hard that is. 
doesn't sound that hard to me, but I'm sure it was very difficult. And when he got to the end, there was a stunned silence, and then the audience stood, and they roared their applause, and the orchestra also stood, and they began to bang their instruments on the floor to honor what Joseph Parman just did. Here's the thing. Joseph Parman, a guy with a busted string and with busted legs, a guy who probably was told you couldn't, said this when he was interviewed. All my life, he says, it has been my mission to make music with that which remains. All my life, it has been my mission to make music with that which remains. There's a stunning little verse in Psalm 90, verse 12, to say, number your days. Number your days. I've been given that prophetic word twice in the last little while. And it makes you begin to realize that life's very fickle. 28 plus thousand people went to bed the other night, tucked themselves in to their warm, cozy bed, not knowing that before morning would come, their lives would be gone in a moment. Life can turn in a penny. And so I think what God's saying to us through this parable today, what's left, will you give it to me? Number my days. What's left? Stop talking about when it happened. That's great. Great experience to have. Mine's a great experience. I still recall it all these years ago. But it's not enough. And God's saying to us today, will you give the rest to me? Whatever's left of your life. Would you surrender the rocks? Would you deal with the rocks that have stopped the flow of God's word going deep into your heart? The habits, the things that are of no value, the things that rob, only rob and steal. Could you give them up today and say, God, what's left of my life I'm going to give it to you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's bow our heads. I did give you the disclaimer. But there's a challenge, always a challenge in the Word of God. And so... Um, as we bow our heads now and we seek to freshly give our lives to Jesus, say, God, thank you for that experience. Thank you for that time when I said yes. But God, just there's coldness in my heart. There's a little bit of emptiness where it used to be full. There's a little bit of coldness where it used to be warm. God, the eagerness and the keenness for your word and for your things seem not to be as interesting as Netflix at the moment. And, and uh, it just seems that I need to refocus my life on you. So God, to you I run this morning. To you I number my days today and say, God, what's left, I'm going to give to you with all gusto, with all meaning, and rightfully, I surrender all today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. 
For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.